reading from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to, the, and to all the rest that, may, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you shall not only you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The word of God. So this morning, in lieu of a message, I am going to be interviewing someone dear to me. But before I invite her forward, I want to share that... Um, this morning we extended a prayer and really a gift on behalf of Puerto Rico. Um, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but that island has been devastated. And um, we actually have people that go to our church that are from Puerto Rico. In fact, uh, a young lady this morning, her family's they're, they're, uh, a safe haven, if you will. They, they've taken people into their home that have lost their homes. And, um, and so we also have a, a squadron of C-17 pilots that the whole squadron doesn't come to church here, but some of the pilots do. And, and they're going to be bringing supplies uh, down to Puerto Rico on Wednesday. And we are buying some of those supplies for the people that are suffering in Puerto Rico so that they can have uh, fresh water and food and such. And so I just wanted you to share both uh, in that prayer as we pray for the people of Puerto Rico and also pray uh, for some of our friends that are going to be flying down there to directly bring aid. So with that, it's my joy to welcome Carly Sorensen, my bride um, of 19 years. And as we dive into this scripture and really the book of Philippians, um, we are We are going to be uh, looking at this passage that uh, was read this morning about suffering. And Carly and I have been looking for a time where she can share a little of her story. And I hope her story touches a little of your story. 
and draws you closer to the gospel story. So if you wouldn't mind, allow me to begin with a word of prayer as we enter this time of hearing from Carly and God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And then the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. So Carly, I think a good place to begin is just to share a little of your upbringing um, for those who don't know that story. Um, for some of you, um, you may, may have heard me share a bit of this um, over the Mother's Day panel, but um, I was born into a loving Christian uh, family. Uh, we attended church regularly, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior when I was about five years old. And so um, I really don't remember a time when I didn't really believe that God loved me. And so I grew up um, kind of with that as the backdrop of my story. But as things went along, um, the conclusions I drew as a child were um, things like, as long as you uh, read your Bible and pray and go to church, then everything is going to turn out well for you. It's kind of an A plus B equals C kind of a thing. And so um, and for, in my life, that, that worked. It did work for a while. Um, I also kind of drew the conclusion that Christianity meant perfection. So the whole point of going to church and reading your Bible and praying was that, so you were going to end up perfect. And so I was on this trajectory thinking that at some point in my adult life, I'm going to hit the mark. I'm going to be, you know, good to go. Uh, I said, the GPS lady is going to say, you have arrived. Okay. And so um, hopefully, you know, in my early twenties or thirties, I thought that was going to be the case. So, um, I kind of lived in that perfectionism starting real early and, and going forward, graduated top of my class in high school in a really large public school. And I chose to go to Christian college named, uh, called Wheaton College. And that is where I met Paul. And Paul um, was uh, one of the, he was going for his like masters in evangelism at the time. So he was kind of like a young Billy Graham and I kind of saw myself as a young mother Teresa reaching. We had it together. Yes, we had it all figured out. We were gonna go save the world. Okay, power couple. So, um, and that really worked out great for us for a while until it didn't. Mm. So um, she chased me for a while, guys. And it was part of the plan, it was part of that equation until it wasn't. And so uh, we, we met in Chicago and then I did grad school and then we were invited into a new chapter and uh, you entered a new chapter. Um, so can you speak a little bit about kind of that turn, that change? So um, when I became a mother, I really thought that was gonna be like the crowning like jewel in my crown, you know, um, the end all be all of my life. And so um, I expected to kind of carry my perfectionism into my motherhood. And which if anyone's a mother, you know, that's hilarious because there's no such thing as a perfect mom and or perfect kids or perfect families. So um, I really kind of lost my way because I was such an achievement oriented person that um, being a stay at home mom really ended up being a real struggle for me. And um, mixed with sleep deprivation, postpartum depression, and we also had a major move at that time from Florida where I had a really good community of friends 
to Connecticut where I didn't know anybody. And um, we ended up kind of living a little further away from church and preschool and everything. So everything was about a 20 or 30 minute drive. So I really was alone with my kids most of the time. And um, I found myself kind of sinking into a depression, which um, I had never experienced before in my life. And um, as a Christian, I didn't have a framework for Christian suffering. Up to that point in my life, I really had thought, you know, if you love Jesus, you don't have any problems or, and you know, or you pray and then he's going to answer them. And if you love Jesus, you're happy because Jesus makes you happy. So, um, when this dark cloud kind of started to set in and I was like, like settling heavy on me, um, I, I, along with the dark and depression kind of, um, felt shame because I felt like, well, then, you know, if I'm really a Christian, I shouldn't feel unhappy all the time. So, um, I really ended up isolating myself because um, I didn't feel comfortable sharing with anybody else. And um, the reason we had moved to Connecticut was that um, Paul was being recruited to start a Christian counseling center there. And um, there wasn't really anything like that at the time in the Northeast. So he had hired like every Christian counselor in the area to work for him. So when I really started struggling with depression, there really wasn't anyone for me to even see because they all worked for Paul. So, and you know how well it goes when a, when a, a spouse tries to counsel another spouse. That, that, didn't, really, that didn't work? No, that didn't no. So, um, so it was really kind of, I mean, you shared in the first service how, um, from your perspective, it was hard to because. Yeah, and so here I have a master's of divinity and a master's in counseling, as do some of you. And I was a licensed professional counselor in Connecticut, and anyone within pretty much a two-hour range worked for me that uh, kind of shared the same DNA and calling in life. And so when she was struggling, uh, it was really hard for me. It became a struggle for me, and I was trying to be um, supportive and understanding and all these things. But truthfully, in her hopelessness, I felt helplessness. So I don't know if any of you can relate to that, having someone kind of dive into darkness and then as a spouse or a loved one not knowing how to support them well. And ironically, I actually had all the degrees to do it and we found ourselves in this very tough spot in our life. Uh, and up till that point in my life, um, I had a true faith, but not a tested faith. So, um, I did go through some tough things as a child. My brother was born with a heart defect and had to have eight different open heart surgeries. Um, but each time we would pray and like miraculous things would happen. So even though it was tough, I would see God show up in kind of big ways. And in this particular situation, I would kind of pray and, and really pray for kind of escape from this, um, this heavy cloak of darkness that was over me. And there wasn't any relief from it. So then I really felt um, really at a loss for where to go from there. Um, in the midst of that kind of dark period of my life, um, I had an experience where I was, you know, laying in my bed, looking at the ceiling and just shouting out to God, or not shouting, but like praying to God in my head, like, please, God, um, I just need to feel your presence. I just need to be comforted. I'm, um, I just had all this anxiety and um, stress about just the, the depression. And um, I remember looking at the ceiling and feeling actually almost like a vacuum of like God's presence, like, like gone. 
like I had known it my whole life and then I suddenly didn't feel it at all. And like that I was praying to the ceiling and it was literally like bouncing off and like not going anywhere. And um, for the first time in my life, I really was like, did I just make all of this up? Like, does God even really exist? Is this just something I've just like imagined? Um, and I really started to have a crisis of faith. And um, I really started, I really felt abandoned by God. And it was a period of time that lasted up like two years. So it didn't go away in a, in a quick fashion at all. And during that period of time, I was like feeling helpless, hopeless, and alone. And I really didn't feel comfortable sharing it with very many people because um, the little bit I did try to share really most people didn't understand or relate to. And um, again, Paul was like counseling, so I didn't want to ruin his reputation as a counselor. So it was just a very difficult place. And during that period, I kind of reached out to, I was like trying to read books and do different things. And I was reading a book by Mother Teresa while I was waiting for um, my kids at drop off one day. And um, a, a friend, not even a friend, a woman who I did not know very well came up to me and she's like, oh, I just finished reading this book about Mother Teresa. Do, do you know that she had this dark night of the soul experience where she felt totally abandoned by God? It's this book called I Love Jesus in the Night. You should read it. And she had no idea that I was going through this like abandonment kind of feeling in my life. And I went and bought the book and um, sure enough, I'm gonna read just one portion of it. Um, this is taken from a letter that uh, Mother Teresa had written to uh, a friend of hers who was a bishop and she wrote, in the darkness when I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. Love, the word, it brings nothing. I am told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. And I read those words, and I thought, okay, so I'm not the only person who, I had no reference for any Christian ever experiencing something like I was experiencing. And so here is Mother Teresa, who I really obviously admired and looked up to. And the backstory is she had felt like God was telling her to go to Calcutta, go to Calcutta, go to Calcutta. And she's like, no, no, no. And finally she goes. And right after she gets there, she feels like he's abandoned her. And that lasts for her for like a decade. So this is kind of chronicling um, her journey. But it gave me in the darkness hope when you know someone else has gone through what you are going through, it helps you to like hold on to that. So I held on to like, okay, Mother Teresa, is, I'm not the only one who's experienced this. And they call it the dark night of the soul. So, um, so I'm going through this dark side, night of the soul experience. And the irony is that Paul is actually being recruited at that time to go and plant a church in um, either New York City or Miami. He's also flying to London to um, do some maybe possible church planning there. So um, here he's like, and God's actually showing up in big ways in Paul's life at the time, which made me even more bitter. But um, He's got a wife who then doesn't even know if God exists. And at that point, I had said to him, like, I don't know if God exists. And if he does, he doesn't love me anymore. Mm. And um, it was a very, very hard time for me. Um, but during that period, we um, decided we were going to move to Charleston. And um, it was either right when we, right before we moved or right after we moved, um, I was um, alone and I was just praying like, dear God, please just show me something. Um, 
that you're real, that you're there. And um, I had this vision, which um, I was born Baptist, so we don't really do visions. That's not a thing we do. But that, that I had this picture in my head that came out in... Um, it was a picture of a dried out riverbed and it was like a big dam that was like built up like a temporary dam that was built up and there were all these like big construction vehicles that were like digging the dirt out of the bottom of the riverbed and I felt like God was saying I am holding myself back from you so that when I pour myself back in you're going to be able to hold more of me and so that that little you know, flicker of light there was um, a little bit of hope in the darkness, like maybe all of this wasn't for nothing. Um, so I shared that with Paul, but I really didn't share that with anyone else. And um, that was the beginning. It was like a turning point, I guess, in my like dark journey. And so we moved to Charleston, and you uh, at one point were invited into a women's prayer group, and something happened in that group. So can you talk about our transition to Charleston and then what led up to the prayer group and what happened in that group? So um, we moved to Charleston and um, I became part of a group um, that met um, to pray, um, kind of a healing prayer group. And um, as I had said, along with the darkness, I was really struggling with shame, feeling shame about the depression, but also kind of debilitating shame about other things too. So one example is um, I took my daughter to the dentist and she was like three at the time and she had three cavities. And I was, I was like horrified. Okay. Now, now normal, a normal mom is going to be horrified, but I like couldn't, I couldn't let it go. Like I actually felt like, like so much shame. I was almost debilitated for the rest of the day. I just wanted to crawl in bed and just like die basically. So, but I knew I was feeling so much shame, but like an over, like a much bigger amount of shame than I should for this particular circumstance. So the next morning I went to my prayer group and I just shared, I said, I'd love for y'all to pray for me about shame, that I'm feeling the shame. So they said, okay, well, so the, the woman who was leading it said, let's just pray and ask God to show you kind of if there's any root or like the beginning, maybe one thing that you experienced that is causing you the shame. So we closed our eyes and prayed. And I kind of had like visions of all these different times in my life that I had felt shame going back to when I was a kid. But I couldn't really see anything like at the beginning that was like the big like aha moment. So I, I shared that and she said, oh, it's okay. Sometimes there's things that happen while you're in the womb. And um, all of a sudden I just start bawling. And she's like, oh, did I say something? I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, um, you don't know my story, but um, I was a product of a teen pregnancy. And um, I actually remember the moment when I was figuring out from when my parents got married to when I was born, there was like a six month gap there. And we're driving down the road and I said, mom, was I a preemie? And she was like, you know, try not to drive off the road. And uh, she's like, no, you know, and um, my parents were always honest about um, that they had made, you know, a choice that, you know, wasn't necessarily God's plan for them, but um, that they, you know, as soon as they found out that they were pregnant, they got married. And um, they never made me feel like I was a mistake, but something in me made me feel like I was. Um, I knew I was an unplanned pregnancy, and I knew um, 
that they, because of me, they didn't get to go to college and um, they've always struggled financially ever since. And um, without realizing that, without them realizing it, I was, I took that upon myself even as a kid to feel like that I was the cause of that. And so um, part of my perfectionism was I wanted to prove that I was worth it, like I wasn't a mistake. And so my whole life I really was um, trying to, yeah, make up for the fact that maybe I was, um, was a mistake. So um, okay, so I shared that with the group, and they said, okay, clearly that's not a message from God. So let's close our eyes and pray that um, God just speaks into you what his message is about you and in your, your, in your conception. So um, I closed my eyes and prayed, and um, I kept hearing like Psalm 131. So I looked up Psalm, no, excuse me, 139, not 131, 139. And it says, this is part of it, starting in verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. To you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days of my life were ordained for me in your book before even one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast are the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grain of sand, the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. So um, it was in that moment, I was 37 years old at the time, that um, was the first time I really had a freedom from feeling I was uh, a mistake, um, that I was um, having to prove my worth um, by, you know, my, uh, my actions, I guess. And so um, I really did feel like a release in that moment um, from, from all that shame I'd been carrying around. So um, I didn't tell anybody else about that whole experience except for Paul. I didn't really want to tell my parents because I didn't want them to feel guilty um, about the fact that I was carrying around all this shame. Um, later they would say, they would tell me that they actually didn't feel any shame because they were just like dumb teenagers who thought it was awesome they were having a baby. So the whole shame part of it was just something that I had like brought on myself. So I went home and I shared with Paul kind of what had happened. And when I heard her story, I realized it was someone else's story in my own prayer life, which is the story of Christ himself. Uh, born to an unwed, unwed mother, and in his humanity, uh, I'm sure experienced the same feelings of shame and judgment that maybe you felt growing up, and I shared that with you, and we don't have the time to go into that experience for you, but that was powerful, and even seeing Jesus' face looking into your face in your prayer life and, and what happened there. Um, but tell them uh, from, from that time what happened one week later. Okay, so exactly one week later from that prayer meeting, 
um, I was at the dentist again, and um, my dad called me, and I couldn't answer because I was at the dentist, so he um, went through to voicemail. And, um, okay, I have this voicemail. Um, are y'all going to play? Okay, they're going to play it for you. It's kind of hard hey, to Hey, Tom, girl. It's Dad. This might be a funny phone call for you, but I was thinking about you today, and I just wanted to call and tell you I love you. Today is May 3rd. It uh, actually is your conception day. Most people don't know their conception days. But it was a special day for Kim and I. We went to prom and um, just wanted you to know that you were not a mistake, honey. You were the path that started my journey to God. So just wanted to say I love you. And I'm so proud of you, honey. You're the best. I just love you. Have a great day. So, as he said in the thing, I was conceived on May 3rd, which was prom for them. And um, so everybody remember that. Okay, but anyway, <laughs> um, but the way that all of that had lined up, like my parents had no idea I was dealing with all this. And my dad, who like never calls me. And um, the fact that he like just thought to call me on May 3rd, which just happened to be a week after I had this whole big thing happen with my shame. And um, it was so specifically orchestrated that I knew it was both my earthly father telling me he loved me, but my heavenly father also telling me that he loved me and that I really wasn't a mistake. And um, after coming out of all those years of feeling, first of all, like alone, but also kind of unloved, um, it was really um, a healing moment for me to know that I was loved and I wasn't a mistake and um, that I could move forward in my life after 37 years of kind of living under that shadow, um, being able to you know, not have that kind of coloring everything that I did. And going back to our passage, we read these words, and they prove true in Carly's story. I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial. Guard into all the rest that my imprisonment or my suffering is for Christ. And not only did Carly feel God's love, but her dad did through her birth. And as I'm sitting here, um, what's amazing is not only has he come to faith, but he actually leads a prison ministry to bring others into faith. And it all happened because of May 3rd. So Carly, as we close, what would you say to people in this room that might know darkness all too well, might know suffering, might know depression, might be questioning God's love and existence? Um, first of all, I would say um, it's okay not to be okay. Um, the Christian life is really hard at times. Um, 
my belief that it was just, you know, a one-way road to heaven or whatever. Um, it's much more peaks and valleys, some of them very deep valleys. And um, all of us are going to experience suffering and sorrow. And it's actually in those valley moments that God really gets our attention and actually is molding us, digging us out deeper. Um, somebody asked me after the first service, like how, like, how are you doing right now? Like, how are you feeling now? And I said, I actually am a good place right now, but it's really funny because I actually miss those moments where I was like in such a desperate need of God every moment of the day that now I can go through my day and not even think about them because I'm fine, you know? And so those moments when you're in those dark places are actually a gift in some ways because that's when you're really, I feel like, crying out to God and really um, that's when he gets our attention, I guess. Let me stop you there. And the end of our passage reads, for it has been granted to you, and you can translate that, it has been graced to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And what Paul is saying is somehow in the mystery, but in the methodology of God, suffering is a gift. So number one, it's, okay. it's okay to not be okay. Number two? Um, let others into your darkness. Um, seek counseling, seek friends to pray for you and with you. Um, I actually did once we get to once we got to Charleston, um, got really good counseling and it made a huge difference for me. So um, I would highly recommend that. Um, there's um, all of the community groups here are a great place where you can share if you're not okay and have people pray for you. Um, number three, trust God. Trust that God loves you even when you can't feel it or you can't see it. Um, it says in Hebrews 11:1 1, that faith is the assurance of what we do not see. So I just encourage you, if you're someone who's, feel, who's not feeling God's presence or love in your life right now, to keep trusting that he is present, he is with you, he does love you, even when you can't feel it. And just as a means of wrapping this time up, can you share that illustration your counselor shared with you? So when I was... Um, sharing with my counselor just kind of all this dark period I was going through, she shared this illustration with me. She said, um, songbirds learn to sing in the dark. The father bird sings over the baby birds while they are sleeping. In the darkness, completely unaware of their father's presence, they memorize the melody that they will carry with them wherever they go for the rest of their lives. So I would invite you to pray with me and so with, with heads bowed, especially those in here that know darkness, I don't care how old you are, 12 to 72, all in between, whatever you're facing, if you know darkness, if you know guilt, if you know shame, I invite you in this moment with heads bowed to just raise your palms upward and let me pray over you. So dear Heavenly Father, for those in this room that are living in darkness, God, I pray that you would meet them right now in their darkness. Lift their eyes and their hearts and pour in your love. God, for those who are struggling with depression or guilt or shame, 
May they hear you calling them back to you. May they hear you singing over them as a songbird in the night. May they know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made and anything, any other message than that is but a lie. Evil from, either from the evil one or from the world around them. God, lift that lie and replace it with your love. Pour yourself into them right now. Release the floodgates so they can experience more of you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.